Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Already Gone Podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. This week's episode brings us to Canada, to the shores of Lake Nipissing, the city of North Bay, Ontario, known as the Gateway to the North. We're investigating the disappearance of a Quebec native, 20-year-old Luc Jolie du Rocher. Our story starts in Quebec, a province in the eastern part of Canada. The official language of Quebec is French, but many of its citizens also speak English. Luke was one of those bilingual citizens. Luke was one of three children. He had two sisters, Sarah and Priscilla. His parents, Monique and Rob, were no longer together. But Luke was close with his family. In fact, his father planned to make the almost hour-long drive from their hometown of Temiskaming, Quebec, into Ontario and southwest on 63 into North Bay to pick up his son from his weekend away with friends. He spent the evening of March 4th drinking and visiting, and late in the evening, after 11 p.m., the group heads to Cecil's Eatery and Beer Society on Wild Street, a short walk from the Sherbrooke Street apartment he was staying in. There is video recording of their arrival. His friends enter first, but the bouncer stops him, and denies him entry. Luke's friends are already in the establishment, and he's alone on the street. Once again, Luke appears on videotape, just outside the door of Cecil's, turning in the wrong direction as he tries to leave. Writing himself, he heads down the road and into oblivion. It's been five years today my son disappeared, and it seems like yesterday. There's not one day that passed by that I don't think of my son. I always wonder, where are you, Luke? When are you coming home? Mama loves you. North Bay is a waterfront community that caters to tourists who seek out Lake Nipissing in the summer for fishing, boating, and miles of beaches. In the winter, there's snowmobiling, skiing, ice fishing, and hunting. North Bay is about 67 kilometers or 41 miles southwest of Luke's home in Temiskaming, Quebec. Lake Nipissing is one of the largest lakes in Ontario, excluding the Great Lakes. It's also known as a very shallow lake, only 4 to 5 meters or 10 to 15 feet deep at the most. Sandbars dot the lake, making it perilous for inexperienced boaters. In early March 2011, the lake was still frozen and ice shanties dotted its surface. On that cold March day, temps were around negative 1 Celsius or 30 degrees Fahrenheit. But the city is right off a large lake, which means it was probably breezy and even cooler. At night, temperatures dip to negative 13 Celsius, or about 8 degrees Fahrenheit. This is not the type of weather where you should walk around outside in sneakers and a hoodie, particularly if you've been drinking. After Luke was turned away from Cecil's Eatery and Beer Society and left behind by his friends, it's thought he returned to the Sherbrooke apartment. When his friends arrive back at the apartment in the early morning hours of March 5th, 
The slender 20-year-old with the shaggy dark hair, big brown eyes, and braces was nowhere to be found. Also missing was his wallet and black messenger-style computer bag. His friends assumed Luke had gotten a ride home, back to Quebec. It's late in the day on Saturday when they notice that he's left his coat and his cell phone behind. The area around the bar and the apartment he stayed in is a busy downtown area that would have had many people coming and going late on Friday night. Cecil's Eatery and Beer Society was a 10 to 15 minute walk through the busy part of town as Luke headed back to the apartment. It was a relatively straight shot between the two, and since his coat made it back to the apartment, it's likely Luke returned there as well. Luke had texted his father earlier Friday evening, around 9 p.m., reminding him that he'd need a ride home the next day. And that was the last contact Luke had with his family. His father was the last person that he sent a text to that evening. On Monday, March 7th, Luke's family contacts law enforcement to report him missing. His case is being handled by North Bay Police, Ontario Provincial Police, and Sûreté du Québec, which is a police force serving the province of Quebec. As word spreads about the missing man, an employee at the Voyager Hotel, about two kilometers or one mile from the Sherbrooke Street apartment he'd been staying at, he said he saw Luke walking by about 3 a.m. on March 5th. On March 11th, Luke's been missing for six days. His bank card, which he used the night of his disappearance when he withdrew $20, is found in a snowbank about a block away from the Sherbrooke Street apartment. If you look at a map, it could have fallen from his pocket as he walked home from Cecil's. About two weeks after Luke went missing, search dogs were brought out to track him. Luke's father, Rob Jolie, drove in from Quebec, bringing a bag of his son's laundry for the dog's descent from. The dog led them northwest through downtown North Bay to the Kinsman Trail. When they reached the Chippewa Creek, the dog alerted and began to whine and bark. The Kinsman Trail is part of an urban trail system that winds through North Bay and runs alongside Chippewa Creek in places. Much of the trail is paved. One thing that I don't know is if Luke and his friends walked any of these areas earlier in the day, which could explain the dog finding his scent in the area. The apartment building on Sherbrooke was not part of an apartment complex. It actually reminds me of the houses in college towns that are converted into multi-unit residences. The apartment was located at the corner of Sherbrooke and 2nd Avenue, just blocks from the city center. If you're interested in digging into the area surrounding his disappearance, Bring up Google Maps and look at the intersection of 2nd Avenue and Sherbrooke Street. There's a large vacant lot across from the apartment. When I use satellite view, it looks overgrown and abandoned, undeveloped, desolate. When I explored this area further on Google Maps, it captured the image of a North Bay police cruiser in the lot driving across the hard pan toward 3rd Avenue. Back to Luke's phone. I don't know if there were any additional texts to Luke's phone that night. Because he left the phone and his jacket at the apartment, there are no cell phone pings to track him, as they did in the Kyle Fleischman case. The only information I could find about Luke's cell activity was that Luke's father is the last person he sent a text to. Again, that was Friday evening around 9 p.m. And he was asking for a ride home the next day. I'm thinking if he's having a great time, he's not going to be focused on getting that ride home. But I digress. As the weather improved detectives decided it was time to take another look at Chippewa Creek. I know I keep coming back to the Kyle Fleischman case out of Charlotte, North Carolina, but there are so many similarities here, I can't help it. 
young men who had too much to drink, got separated from their friends, and disappeared in the city center. Also, the setup along Chippewa Creek sounds similar to the area of Charlotte where Kyle's phone made its last communication, a green belt through town running alongside a narrow, shallow waterway. This is where the search dog, tracking Luke's scent, led them. While Chippewa Creek sounds like a promising place for him to be, maybe Luke drowned or he was pushed or fell to his death at the creek, but it's not a large creek. It's not deep, and it's not particularly wide, and it lacks a strong current. It's unlikely that if Luke ended up in the creek, his body would have been swept away. Remember, Thursday, March 3rd, brought a heavy snowfall to North Bay. The cold temperatures on Friday meant the snow was staying. The creek was likely covered with snow as well. In April, police performed an intensive search of the four-unit apartment building where Luke was staying and where his coat and glasses were left. They did not release any information to the public about the results of this search. Luke's family and law enforcement looked for him. His picture and his story was shared in the media, but there was no sign of the missing man. Police divers waited for temperatures to rise, and they planned a search of the lake and of Chippewa Creek. It was a sunny day in June 2011 that the dive teams went out. If you have a chance, look up the lake on Google Maps. Lake Nipissing is a very large lake. In fact, excluding the Great Lakes, it's the fourth largest lake in Ontario. And what it lacks in depth, it makes up for in size. Nipissing has a surface area of 873 square kilometers, or 337 square miles. Late summer, 2011, a woman named Danielle Leduc Mitchell told North Bay Police a terrifying story. She shared with them how she had personally witnessed the brutal, bloody beating death of 20-year-old Luc Jolie du Rocher at the hands of a man from Temiskaming, Quebec. Law enforcement brought the man in for questioning. They worked with Sûreté du Quebec to search a home and property near Temiskaming, only to discover that Mitchell was a drug addict, an attention seeker, and a liar. She hadn't witnessed anything. Mitchell was sentenced to more than a year in jail for her actions. At sentencing, Luke's father, Rob Jolie, spoke out against the woman for the hell she'd put Luke's family through. Luke's mother and two sisters shared his sentiments. Mitchell did offer an apology to the family for the five months of distractions, false hope, and grief that she'd caused with her tales. Sadly, this would not be the last time Luke's family would be subjected to devastating information about their son's disappearance. In 2017, a second woman, Jacqueline Kelly, was charged with public mischief for telling police that she was present during his murder. Kelly was sentenced to more than a year's probation. Back to Luke's disappearance. I wish there was more available from the friends he was staying with. Obviously, if the group was out at a bar together and returned to the apartment together to discover Luke missing, they couldn't be involved in his disappearance. The same cameras that showed Luke being turned away from the bar would show if his friends left the bar at a different time or if the timeline they gave the North Bay police differed from what actually occurred that evening. While what Luke left behind, his glasses, coat, and cell phone, was concerning, it's worth mentioning what he was wearing. He was last seen in black jeans, a pair of black New Balance athletic shoes with green stitching, a gray t-shirt, and a black zip front sweater. 
He was also wearing a bright purple belt with studs on it. The belt's hard to describe other than that it's a vibrant purple and it's covered in these little diamond-shaped plastic studs. They're dimensional. I posted a photo of the belt on our website, www.alreadygonepodcast.com. You'll see a picture of the belt and with various photos of Luke. He was slender with shaggy dark hair, a bit of scruff on his cheeks, and braces on his upper teeth. Law enforcement believes that this purple belt is the item that would stick out in people's memory to either see someone wearing it or if they were to come across the item, maybe in a wooded area or on a beach. It's pretty distinctive. And I'm not just being grim by mentioning that someone might find this belt in the woods or on a beach. Rob Jolie made a public plea in September of 2011 asking that hunters as they explored the woods near North Bay and Temiskaming, please keep an eye out for his son and his belongings. Quote, Hunters are probably going into places that we've never searched. This is northern Ontario and northern Quebec. The hunters he was appealing to? They're moose hunters. This week's episode is sponsored by the amazing Canvas People, If you aren't familiar with Canvas people, they take your favorite photos, even the ones on your cell phone, and print them out on Canvas, giving you a gorgeous print to display. And we're not talking little wallet-sized images. We're talking about getting an 11 by 14 print from a picture that's been sitting in your phone. If you're looking to treat yourself or get that just right gift for a friend or loved one, you don't want to miss this offer. Visit canvaspeople.com. Use their simple, straightforward interface and capture one of your beloved images in print, free. All you pay is shipping. That's a savings of $69.99. Use the code GONE at checkout. The code is G-O-N-E, GONE. Mother's Day is coming up, and Father's Day isn't too far behind. Treat your loved ones to a gift they will treasure. Visit canvaspeople.com and get a free 11 by 14 photo to canvas with promo code GONE. Preserve the important events in your life, from a wedding to a baby or your favorite pet. That's canvaspeople.com, promo code GONE. On the one-year anniversary of Luke's disappearance, his family held a candlelight vigil on the steps of North Bay City Hall. They were hoping to keep information about their missing son and brother fresh in the public's mind. In 2016, law enforcement searched a home in Temescaming, Quebec, looking for clues in relation to Luke's disappearance. The search took place over two days. People were tight-lipped about the reasons for the search, and they did not release additional information about what, if anything, they discovered. The news did report that a forensic team from Montreal made the six-hour journey to Temescaming to aid in evidence recovery and processing. Now, let's talk about some theories regarding Luke's disappearance. One that I've seen mentioned several times is that Luke could have ended up in the lake. At first blush, this makes perfect sense. He'd been drinking. North Bay's a lakefront town. Luke loses his bearings and finds himself at the water's edge, where he falls, jumps, or is pushed into icy waters. The problem with this theory is that the lake was frozen. Not only was it frozen, it was topped with fresh snow. Now, Chippewa Creek, near Kinsman Trail, that's a different story. Had he fallen into the creek, which was only partially frozen, I still believe his body would have been discovered despite the winter weather. 
The paved path along Chippewa Creek is well-traveled. Footprints leading into the creek or tracks from the trail edge into the water, they'd be noticeable. Another theory is that Luke took his own life. Perhaps he was overcome with grief or rage and just decided to end it all. Obviously, friends and family don't know everything that goes on in someone's head, but they all said that there were no signs of Luke being in crisis. And again, if he took his own life, where is his body? He should have turned up. So, getting into some darker speculation, it's possible that Luke returned to the apartment, taking off his coat and setting down his phone. He decides to go out again, maybe for food, maybe to take a walk in the cold night air and sober up so he can rejoin his friends. He takes his shoulder bag, but leaves his coat, glasses, and cell phone behind. Why would he do that? What 20-year-old leaves without his phone? Also, it's very cold. Why go out without a jacket? Could there have been an altercation at the apartment? Luke upset that his friends left him and continued their night of fun without him? As I mentioned earlier, the apartment was one of four in a house that was converted into apartments. These units are close together, and I would imagine that if there was a fight in the apartment, someone in an adjoining unit would have heard something. Also, law enforcement did a comprehensive search of the entire building looking for clues that might lead them to Luke. But details of the search were not made public. There was that sighting of Luke by the night attendant at the Voyager Inn up on Delaware Street. I was thinking, okay, maybe Luke's hungry. He has $20, so maybe he's walking toward the fast food restaurants on Algonquin. But that has him walking past several restaurants on Main Street. And it's possible that these restaurants were closed or that Luke avoided them for fear of being turned away again. When I look at the location of the Voyager, if Luke were walking past, there's no sidewalk and Delaware Street doesn't connect with Sherbrooke or Second. It seems that if Luke was on Delaware, he was either lost, or he'd taken a ride with someone who let him off in an unusual spot. When Rob Jolie brought in search dogs to track his son, the dog started at the apartment on Sherbrooke, then ran down to Main Street, and then took Main Street to the Kinsman Trail. Once the dog reached the banks of Chippewa Creek, he began to whine and bark, This does not line up with the sighting on Delaware Street at the Voyager Inn. And again, I keep coming back to his coat and phone being in the apartment. Temperatures were in the single digits or negative numbers in Celsius. It does not make sense to leave the apartment without your jacket. Now, my son is about the same age as Luke, and while I can see him going out without a jacket, I cannot imagine him going anywhere without his phone. I fear that something terrible happened to Luke, either in or near that apartment. Perhaps it was an accident. Perhaps there was an argument. Honestly, I hope that I'm wrong. For Luke's family, his father and mother and two sisters that clearly love their brother, I hope Luke arrives home with quite a story to tell of where he's been for the last few years. In March of 2017, the sixth anniversary of Luke's disappearance came and went. In the years since Luke vanished, police in two provinces have interviewed hundreds of people, followed up on hundreds of leads, and searched many properties and bodies of water. If you have information about what happened to Luke Jolie Durocher, the Ontario government is offering a reward of $50,000 leading to an arrest and conviction in this case.
Anyone with information regarding Luke Jolie de Roche's whereabouts is encouraged to call the North Bay Police Service at 705-497-5555. I am always grateful when law enforcement will speak to me about these cases. I was fortunate to talk to Detective Constable Dave Wilson of the North Bay Police Department about Luke's disappearance. Wilson assured me that this is an active investigation with information coming in regularly. They are looking for that one piece of the puzzle to bring Luke home. I would also like to say that any errors contained in this podcast are mine. There's always hope. As a father, you can't uh, give up uh, hope on your son. I dream a lot that, you know, someday Luke's going to walk in the door and uh, you can never count him out. I can't anyways, you know, just... Uh, until we know what happened, Luke's uh, coming home. The North Bay Police have only one open and unsolved murder and 13 open unsolved missing persons cases on the books. More than half of these individuals were receiving treatment at the North Bay Psychiatric Hospital when they disappeared. Based on news coverage driven by the department, they have not given up hope of locating these individuals and bringing them home. The oldest of these cases dates back to 1966, when 27-year-old Philippe Guerin walked away from the hospital and vanished. There's a link to his story on our website if you'd like to learn more. In 2016, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder proclaimed May to be Missing Persons Month, which means we will focus on the missing and lost all month long. I will even take a break from covering cold cases to talk about a Detroit-area disappearance from December of 2016 and provide updates on cases covered in some of our earliest episodes. If you're in Michigan, I would like to share two upcoming events with you. On Saturday, May 6th, I will be attending the Missing in Michigan event at Madonna University. This program is free and open to the public. On Saturday, May 13th at 1 p.m., I am hosting the first ever Michigan meetup for Already Gone. We're meeting at the Old Nation Brewery, 1500 East Grand River Avenue in Williamston. If you are attending the Missing in Michigan event or the May 13th meetup, please drop me an email, host at alreadygonepodcast.com. I'd love to meet you. If you haven't had a chance to check out our sponsor, I encourage you to visit canvaspeople.com and get a free 11 by 14 print. Use the code GONE at checkout. You just pay shipping. I shared my Canvas People picture on Twitter. I had a wedding photo done. The color and the quality is amazing. Big thank you to our newest Patreon supporters. Brittany, Kathleen, Deidre, Jacqueline, Jeremy, Stephen, and Jess. If you are already a Patreon subscriber, be on the lookout for a bonus episode on Patreon very soon. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. As always, I thank you for listening, and please, be safe.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.